Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 44. My guest today is going to be my buddy, Davey Wester. David Wester, I call him Davey. And uh, he is going to be on my podcast today. I've always liked Davey. I met him at the comedy store probably, I don't know, 10 years ago now, getting close to that. But uh, I've always liked Davey. Every time I see him at the comedy store, he's one of those guys that uh, he just doesn't have a pretentious bone in his body. He's just a good dude and funny, and and he's here for us right now. So hang on a second, and I'll get him. Hello, Davey Wester. What's up, Mr. Tim Gaither? How you doing? I'm good, man. I uh, I heard your voicemail. Do you go by David now, or, or or can I still call you Davey? You can still call me Davey. All right. I'm, uh, I'm multitasking on my name, so. <laughs> yeah, I was just, uh, in my little intro, I was just saying that... Uh, you're one of the people that when I first moved out here, I guess it's been probably nine years ago almost already, when I first met you, but um, you're probably one of the least pretentious people on the planet, and that's kind of rare in Hollywood, so it was always nice to see you, because I knew it was just going to be a, a normal conversation with a normal guy, and I wasn't going to, I didn't I didn't ever feel like you were uh, fake or any of that shit, which is plentiful in Hollywood. Yeah, it's a hard one to find there. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's uh, you know, not to mention any names or anything like that. Certain comics of the set will say that they're, they're, the new and up and coming comic. I just want to do a joke and try to win it back, but I'm going to start calling myself the Amazing Davy. The Amazing uh, Davy? The Amazing Davy, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was good, man. Uh, I remember me. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's cutting out just a little bit. I don't know why. Oh, but... I'm sorry, but that's probably my phone. My phone sucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you there? Yeah, I can hear you good now. It was just for a second okay. I was cutting out. It was actually cutting out when you were uh, saying something. You said you didn't want to mention any names, but there's some comics up there who did who did what? Gosh dang it. I'm, I'm sorry, dude. I, I can't. It keeps cutting out. I don't know why, but I can't hardly hear your ass. We might have to start this sucker over. Um, are you uh, Are you on a speakerphone? No. Okay. I'll say I don't. You don't need to be on a speakerphone if you are, but I, that, I guess that's not. No, I'm not a speaker. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, no, it's just when you live in the Antarctic, that the cell reception uh, kind of cuts out up here because of storms and wind and all that stuff. Where are yeah. you at right now? I'm in Minnesota. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's uh, a warm twenty degrees today. <laughs> with 20 mile an hour winds yeah I don't so, I don't I don't miss that shit at all yeah no 
know, that's brutal. So well, uh. You know, I wanted to hear what the heck you were, what you were, what you were saying, and and now I can hear you good. So one more time, what what was it you were saying about the people, some of the guys at the comedy store that they're pretentious? Some of them are pretentious assholes and couldn't write a joke to save their soul, and they don't know it. Yeah, a lot of guys that just don't love doing stand up, that want to be stars or whatever. And I love doing stand up, so it's it's kind of different, you know. Um, I go anywhere, any any place to do it, so. Yeah. 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 I've always uh, I've always noticed that about you, and there there are a lot of dudes that just they never go anywhere besides Hollywood, and they don't know that there's a any other part of the country, and uh, and and they don't know that Hollywood is, in my opinion, probably the worst place to do it. (laughs) I mean, as far as having fun with shows, you know. It's nowhere to, to really develop yourself, you know, um, and develop, because, I mean, people will watch me now and you didn't see it, but when I did my main room spot, people were like, man, you got way better, and I was always decent, but I got better because I, I did more time. It's all about doing more time and putting yourself in a position where you're going to go in front of crowds on the road that don't want to listen to you, you know, and that's... I'm comfortable with that. Where Where did you grow up, Davey? I grew up in uh, Eastern Washington, uh, like Ephraim, Washington. It's basically the Northwest, to explain it. It's very small town, very backwoods. Uh, it's closer to Idaho than it is to Seattle, so. Um, so it's, you know, it's a good place to grow up, but you have to leave to do something great. And that's what I try to achieve, man. I try to like have fun and but be great at what I do. So. Did Did you know when you were a kid that you wanted to be a comic, or was that something you figured out as you grew up? Uh, well, I, uh, I actually discovered that when I was in L.A. because uh, my aunt was actually lived in L.A. And I, yeah, I've always drank a lot, but uh, don't drink so much anymore. But I was really like a small town, typical small town kid that just drank a lot. And then one day I stumbled across the comedy store before it was popular, and uh, again, and uh, did the open mic, and I was horrible, and um, and so I just kept doing it, and and I maybe too early. You know, uh, I got passed after a year doing stand-up, so um, I wasn't ready for that. But 15 years in, I can reflect, and it was a blessing in disguise. But, you know, maybe because Mitzi liked the fact that we both looked like we had Parkinson's, I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, but she's, uh, you know, she gave me an opportunity, and that club gave me an opportunity, and made me realize that I had a skill. So, I didn't think I had skill. Yeah. Well, did you... Having, uh... You have cerebral palsy? You have cerebral palsy, right? Not Parkinson's. No, I have cerebral palsy, yeah. Okay. But people give it... People give it a different name every week. When you were a kid, were, uh... Were were kids dicks about you having cerebral palsy when you were younger? Because kids are assholes. Yeah, kids are assholes, but, uh... 
know, I, I, but I also had, I grew up, you know, I grew up in a, like a trailer park, so we were, like, it didn't matter. I was just Davy. Yeah. Like, all the trailer park kids just kind of just hang together. Yeah. No matter what they have, you know. Right. We all had the same weird family tree, so we just kind of embrace one another. Yeah, being yeah. poor, being poor is the great uh, equalizer, you know. And, yeah. And when you're when you're a kid, and and you know, like where I went to school, you know, like if you pulled up, like my mom would bring me to school, and she always had this. If she had a car at all, it was a total piece of shit, and I'd be so embarrassed because for some reason we always went to school with these kids who we never had money, but the kids around us always seemed to, and actually. We thought they were rich, but they were probably just very lower middle class, and we were so poor that we thought they were rich. But, but kids are assholes. Yeah, back when and, you thought teachers were rich. Yeah. I thought teachers were rich. I was a kid. So, so you didn't get you didn't get into a lot of fights because of uh, cerebral palsy, or did you? Yeah, I did. When I was younger, I mean, but like. I, but I, my dad always told me, if you can't fight, you show up for the weather. <laughs> and that'd be the to scare people back. Yeah. And show up with a tire, baseball bat. <laughs> uh, I got in trouble, like, in fourth grade. And they called my dad. They didn't know my dad's like, well, he's got cerebral palsy. He's allowed to have a bat if some kids want to bully him. Yeah. So my dad, he embraced that, you know. So, were your parents married? Your are your parents still married, or? Oh, my dad passed about two years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, he had uh, he had cancer, but my dad did it with style. You know, my dad did like anything. He just kind of chagrined it. He goes, "Well, what do you expect? I smoke two packs a day, and uh, yeah, it, it happens, I guess." And he was he was funny about it. He like. One of the stories sometimes when I feel like the audience digs me, but they go back. But in Washington, they have these things called uh, Lucky for Life scratch tickets. And when my dad got the cancer, he would go and go buy a bunch of them. But he would tell the teller to hurry up and give him a winner because he only had six months to live, and he would laugh. <laughs> and it would be horrifying. Horrified the lady, and they were, but me and him would both laugh about it. Yeah. Because that was just, I mean, that's who he was. You know, he is, my dad was a good person, but he liked being asshole to people, so it just gave him more of an excuse to be an asshole to people because he had cancer, <laughs> and he enjoyed that. Uh, you know, he was like, one lady came up to him, we at the store because I spent some time with him, and, uh, some random, I don't know, some lady came up to him and she goes, you should smile, the sun's out. And my dad's like, bitch, I got cancer, I don't have to smile for anybody. And then he laughed and then pushed his walker away. So he, he enjoyed it. I've never seen anybody embrace cancer like he did. So, <laughs> Deep, Would you say that's where you yeah. got your sense of humor was from your dad? Yeah, uh, in and up, John Caesar met my dad, and because we were on the road, he goes, oh, this all makes sense now. Yeah. Because he hung out with my dad, my dad was telling the story about how he leased the car one time here in Minnesota, but he wasn't supposed to leave the state. 
but he left the state to go to San Diego. So he basically went, and the story is they repoed the car, and my son's like, oh, so you did Grand Theft Auto. My dad's like, he's like, yeah, you betcha. You know, uh, the mechanic cab driver. My dad always had stories, so, you know, and that was, uh, you know, the funniest. I've never, like, when we did the obituary and stuff like that, my dad, uh, he served in the Air Force, but he, he, he missed his deployment to Vietnam because he was getting drunk, so they shipped him to the Dominican Republic for the conflict in the Dominican Republic. So my dad was like, it was a win-win situation. Hell yeah. Yeah, he was in... So during Vietnam, he was in the Dominican Republic? Yeah, because they have 24-7 deployment, and my dad was getting drunk, and he missed his deployment to Vietnam, Mm -hmm. so they they just shipped him to the Dominican Republic. Because my, uh, my dad was, uh, he's like, yeah, the military wasn't for me, but they liked me so much in basic training that I got to do basic training twice. <laughs> Cause he, yeah, so that was the kind of, my dad wasn't, like, he was he was cool, like, he wasn't, like, he had no delusions of what he, his service was, he wasn't, like, I served this country type person, he was just like, I was a fuck off in the Air Force. Yeah. So, and that's what the, 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 whatever the pastor or whatever does the eulogy is like, oh, thank you for your service. And my dad's reaction was like, I didn't do shit, but steal shit and sell stuff to the Dominicans. <laughs> so, like, you know. My stepdad, uh, when he, he got drafted and he knew, and he got it in the mail and he knew it was a draft notice and I guess when you get drafted, they don't give you a choice of service, or maybe I'm telling the story wrong, but he didn't even open the draft notice. He just went down and joined the Air Force because he knew that he wasn't going to have to fight if he joined the Air Force because, you know, he wasn't going to have to be in uh, so he, he was a mechanic, and they ended up, he was an airplane mechanic, so he never had to, to go to war or any of that shit. I mean, he went to Vietnam, I guess, but not to... Um, to fight, maybe I'm completely bat- butchering that story, but that's what he did. He went down and joined the Air Force because he figured that was the best branch of the service to go into to stay alive. Yeah. And I always thought that was pretty damn smart on his part. Yeah, no, you got to do it. And I also on your uh, when I was introducing you on this podcast, I was talking about how you used to walk everywhere and how uh, <clears throat> that's how I realized what a tough bastard you were because. You'd get kind of liquored up at the comedy store, and then you'd walk these great distances. And uh, <laughs> I think I gave you a ride a time or two, but there were now there were times where I'd see your ass walking, and I'd be like, "Man, that guy!" I mean, you never complained about you know it being harder for you to walk or any of that stuff. And then and then I got to hearing about how you would uh, how you got into fights quite a bit, and uh, you even boxed uh, your old roommate. P.J. Stansberry to uh, open for Russell yeah. Peters, and you won that fight, didn't you? Yeah, but it's, uh, technically, I didn't. Like, I was going to win it no matter if I got knocked out or not. So oh, yeah. it was just kind of a set, yeah, it was a setup thing, and it was fine. It was like, you know, it was, I, you know, I didn't really actually think this was going to come to fruition. I trained like it was because I thought maybe it wouldn't, but. I don't regret it, but I would, at 30, uh, I mean, if you look at it, no no regrets on my part, but 
I'm not on the same level as Boom Shakalaka and Josh Martin and looking back at it. I was like, yeah, I, it was cool for the moment, but if it, if it came up to me and said, hey, we're doing a punchline too, I'd be like, I'm retired. I don't, uh, I don't box anybody anymore. Did you, you did you get to did you get to open for Russell? Oh, I snagged I uh, I snagged a guest spot in Seattle because uh, nobody really did. you had to kind of you know make him feel bad. So to actually, because I mean his agency, I mean I mean no hard feelings, but his agency pretty much did a stop and deceased because they don't want Russell tagged with a. Chakalaka and Davey Wester, guy with cerebral palsy. So, yeah, I, technically, yeah, I got to open for Russell, but I just, you know, and he's a cool-ass dude. I, I, I harbor no hard feelings or anything like that, so I got to do, like, five guest spots with him in, in the parlor in Seattle, so that was cool. Yeah. That he, was just because I was, you know. He is a good dude. He came out to Vegas and uh, <clears throat> introduced me from my from my special that I filmed with the Laugh Factory and, uh, you know, he didn't have to do that. Somebody, his stature, you know, he certainly didn't have to do that. He did it for free. I think we bought him a bottle of expensive tequila or something, or Harry Basil did. I didn't, but uh, for coming down and doing it. But other than that, he, uh, you know, and that's a guy that makes $22 million a year. So, <laughs> so it was, yeah. you know, if you break down the time he he spent doing it, he, you know, that was like a $60,000 gig for him that he did for free, so... Yeah, I appreciate it. He's always uh, been cool to me too. Well, once I think it's 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 not. I don't think it's there's like once you get to that level, you know, there's a lot of less infighting because you're all making money, like the Sebastians and the the Russell Peters. You know, they're making money, so they don't least time with the, the, the little infighting that make the one at the laugh factory with comedy store that they're more inclined to help people you know because they want to see us make money too so because they don't they don't they don't have to live check to check so they know how hard it is so do you I, 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 what I was just gonna say do you remember your uh your first set that you did at the comedy store? Oh yeah, it was uh, it was the host, you know, Rick Ramos. Um, I don't. The first set, uh, he's a Mexican guy, cerebral palsy, but I bombed. And so this old school comedy store where, you know, they wouldn't really do this nowadays. But uh, he sat me on a chair and made fun of me for five minutes in front of maybe forty people. Man, it was a packed open mic, so it was what it was. I mean, that's. That was back in the day when the comedy store used to do three nights a week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, for open mic, and it was fine, you know, but then nobody ever thought I was going to show back up after that, but then I was like, you know what, I got to just get funny. I got to get funny, and, you know, because I love it, regardless of what had happened, so, because I'm not a quitter, so, you know, and, uh, I mean, I have no hard feelings with the comedy store. I mean, I mean, we had to deal with, like, God, the young kids don't have to deal with it. We, I mean, me and you, we, we were in the dark ages when we had to talk to Tommy Morris, you know, and he was, he was different, you know. I remember, wasn't he the one that uh, 
went after you, he thought you were on the blue collar comedy tour or something like that. Oh, you talking about Tommy that ran it when we were there? Yeah. I never knew his last name in all these years. I never knew Tommy's last name. Um, yeah, I don't know if he knew thought I was on the blue collar comedy tour or whatever, but um, I, I got kind of lucky as far as getting past there and the timing of it. He saw me uh, go up a couple times and it went real well. And Eleanor Kerrigan said some nice things to him about me, and so I got I got past. But then, but then he wanted to act like you know I'd already been doing comedy ten years and I was headlining fair amount of rooms by then and and he wanted to act like just because I just got past at the comedy store that I had no fucking idea what I was doing and that that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way like like I was he, he treated me like I was an open micer or something like the first time I asked him because Mitzi Mitzi passed me the first time which I was proud of and it's kind of rare but he uh um I remember one time saying hey man you think I get a main room spot and he goes you're not ready for that dude and I was like well I just headlined an improv so I'm pretty sure I can do 15 minutes, you fucking dickhead. <laughs> you know, like. Well, he, he got you sober, so that was that was uh, you know, being up there makes you go sober. I guess that's cool. We can go reverse, you know, because we both used to drink, and now we just we're both older. So. Yeah, I haven't drank in seven years, and uh, I mean, Tommy, Tommy wasn't the reason I got sober, but he's he's definitely uh, lucky that I did. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just trying to give him some credit. No, there, there, there were times that uh, that I thought to myself, that I thought to myself, you're sure lucky I quit drinking, Tommy, because you'd be dead by now, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> one time, one time, actually, Tommy would do this thing, and I didn't realize it at the time, but he was just, he was, uh, he was, I don't know, it was his why he was messing with me, but. Um, I called up the comedy store one time and I was like, hey, Tommy, I was looking for a La Jolla spot or something. And he was like, I heard you did terrible in your last OR set. And I was like, who told you that? I was like, I actually remember that set and I had a lot of fun and I'm pretty hard on myself. So if I would have had a bad set, I'd be the first one to, to tell you I didn't. But uh, I had a good set. Who told you that? And he was like, well, I heard you were terrible, dude. And he was giving me all this shit. And I was like, I was like an hour away and it pissed me off. And I called him up a couple weeks later or maybe it was a month later, and I was uh, asking him again about La Jolla, and he was like, I heard you did terrible again. And I was like, Tommy, who the fuck is saying this? Like, because I, I didn't do terrible. I don't know what you're talking about. And I was, I had been drinking at the time, and he pissed me off, and I go, Tommy, last time you were saying this shit, I was an hour away, and now I'm ten minutes away, and if you don't change your tune, I'm going to come up there and kick your ass. And... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he he apologized and got real nice all of a sudden, but I'll be damned if my spots didn't start going down after that. Well, the work you know, either you had to challenge him, but physically, a couple times I had to go back there just to like show my knife, and then he would give me two spots that week. Well, I've got this 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 punching bag in the garage. It's one of those things that looks like a. It looks like a man. It's called a Bob or whatever, and I renamed it Tommy because when I got it, it was right around the time he was really pissing me off. And and now that I look back on it, and now that I'm sober and don't drink and all that stuff, I go up to the comedy store and sometimes I hear these guys bitching, and I think, I think to myself, all the bitching in the world isn't going to change anything. Just get either get yeah. better at stand up or go someplace where they're going to appreciate you. Um, but bitching about things and bitching about people and all that stuff and 
It seems like you've well, come I mean, to the I've same seen, realization. I've seen certain comics bitch about Chappelle coming in, and I'm like, I don't, this $15 isn't going to change my world, so. Yeah. Whatever, $20 or whatever. Yeah, they Chappelle has 10, sh- 10 specials. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to get mad at somebody that's bigger than me that comes in. Oh, you're talking about somebody got mad the other night because Chappelle came up there? Yeah. 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 I don't care. I, I, change. I just think it's really cool when you're on a show and he comes up and he's on the same show. I just think it's cool. Because in my eyes, yeah. he, him and Bill Burr are probably the best comics working. I mean, there's a few ones that yeah. I forget about. I forget about Sebastian, too, who is... Every time I see that guy, I'm like, man, he is fucking good. He just is. Yeah. Um... Who are your, uh, did you have any favorites when you were like a kid or as you went, did you work at the comedy store? Sorry to throw three questions at you at once, but did, first off, did you work at the comedy store ever? Were you ever like an employee? Yeah, yeah I worked there for, like as a regular, I was like, I went backwards. I went from being a regular to an employee because I needed money, but then, um, it, it, it's the standard question when you're a kid, it was like, you know. Like I, I liked I, I liked Richard Pryor, I liked Lenny Bruce, I liked you know Carlin. But as it evolved, like being up there, I liked watching Marin go up and working out, and I liked watching you know uh, Sebastian and uh, Joey Diaz and Stan. I've never seen Stan, but I like watching his specials. But I mean. Watching Marin, watching the root of a bit, like, that was my favorite of, like, when he just go up there on the stool and just root out a bit, you know, and I, I was, even Chris Rock, when he root out a bit, so I felt very lucky to watch guys that had been doing it a long time, just being calm and working on a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a fall too. Like when you're a kid, you're a fan of comedy. You like the Collins, you like the Pryors, but then you watch these guys that, even Freddie Soto, who you never got to meet, but he was, I mean, I remember watching this guy get a standing ovation in the OR, you know, when he went up and did his 15 minute spot. I was like, man, this guy's a beast. Yeah. And he was really nice, and, you know, it's like, oh, shit. These guys have their stuff together. And, uh, like, I was there long enough. I like, even Sebastian I like watching because I saw the evolution of Sebastian. I was like, man, this is, uh, it wasn't there for the beginning, but I saw the middle part when he just started to fold into Sebastian, so. Yeah, I heard it took, it was at the, in, at the beginning he was, like, pretty bad. And and one and Jeff Scott was telling me that one night something just clicked for him, and like ever since and it was, and sometimes that can happen even even within the last few months I was up at the comedy store and I did a bit where I kind of had to do an act out a little bit and and I really committed to it and uh, and it was like it's you know that's the addicting part about stand up is like you can still have breakthroughs. You know, I've been doing it 19 years now, 17 for a living, and you can still have breakthroughs, and and nothing's ever the same again. You know, whether it's a bit, yeah. or whether it's your attitude, or whether you, you know, sometimes you just realize something, or sometimes you'll have a joke that you've had for years, and you change two words, and all of a sudden, that joke goes from just filler, something you just 
kept doing because it led to another bit, and all of a sudden that bit's hilarious. And you're like, well, shit, I always knew it was. But you just needed to change a couple things, and sometimes you have to do it a thousand times before you change those two words, and you're like, oh. And that's part of what's so addicting to it about it uh, for me. Um, What is your favorite part of doing stand-up? My favorite part is, uh, like, you never know at all. That's my favorite. Like, you know, like eight, nine years ago, when we first met or whatever, you remember uh, that I didn't really talk about palsy. Now I talk about it because I found the direction I like to talk about it with. Yeah. You know, and I do it in the beginning. At first, I was like, I wanted to be a comics comic, and then I was like, you know what, screw it, I'll just talk about how I don't know anything about it, and just go from there, and, like, it was it was eye-opening, so, like, uh, there was a young kid that saw me do the roast battle, and they would never seen me before, and it was like, it's a four-minute set, so in the first minute, I just do how my grandma doesn't know what Sarah and I'm crushed, and I'm doing well. But he goes, yeah, that cerebral palsy stuff is kind of crushed. I said, I'm just making, like, if you watch me do an elongated set, you'll know that I don't talk about it for more than three or four minutes. Yeah. But I have to. I mean, it, it's like, because I'm just, because at first I just made it harder on myself. Yeah. Now I'm just like, like, I'm making it easier on myself to talk about the bits I really want to talk about. But I, like, I accepted it. Like, I'm like, you know what? Why not just do it? And just let people, because I mean, I was giving people too much credit to the crowd. Like, and then I start out slow, and now I just start out fast and stronger. Yeah. And just accepting, accepting. So, like, okay, I don't have to do it for my whole set, but for maybe two or three minutes, just talk about it up top, get it out of the way, and move on. But I was pig headed at it for a long time, but going, wanting to get booked on the road. You have to hit them hard for three minutes or whatever in the beginning and then crush it at the end. Like, cause they don't watch your whole tapes. Like, oh, okay, this guy's funny. Yeah. And it's like, until I have a special where I can, you know, and I can move on from it. But from right now, it's like, okay, I have to accept the fact that I have to do this. And that's fine. I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> You stand up, the more comfortable you get with yourself. Yeah. And just realize that's probably one of my favorite things. You know, I was, I, I had it on my idea of my head. Like most young comics, like I'm going to change the system. I'm going to change how we do this. It's the same formula. And that, that, that's sort of like, you know, it's like you, you get this idea in your head that everything's going to change. But, uh, you know, but then you realize, shit, okay, this is what I have to do, and it's part of doing a job, so yeah. I have fun doing it. I think you said the other yeah. night when we were talking at the comedy store, you are like, I realized I wasn't going to change the fucking world, and I don't want to anymore. I just want to I just want to be funny. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Yeah, just in with fastballs, with curveballs, I'm not an alternative comic, I'm just funny. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know. Yeah, like I love when know. comics can make points and and talk about serious topics and make them funny but there's only a handful of guys that can really do it you know like like bill hicks was in my eyes the best that ever did that you know talking about uh, kennedy assassination and all that other stuff and i think i probably bring him up at least once a podcast because 
it, it, it drives me crazy that more people don't know who he was. Um, but but there's also very few people that can do what he did. And if you're not being funny about it, you're just on a soapbox, and that's not what we're supposed to be doing up there. You know, like yeah. if you can sneak in valid points, good for you. But if, if if that's all you're doing is just up there ranting about whatever and thinking people give a shit, and that's something else I notice about some LA comics and some guys, especially starting out. And and there was this girl the other night, not too long ago, and she was up there eating shit so bad. And she came off stage and she said to her friend, she was like, that was great, I really needed that. And I wanted to go, are you fucking kidding me? Like, if I had a set like that, I think I'd kill myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw that at, uh, when I did the Venice, there was a girl that went up before me, and she she not only wasn't doing too well, but then she ran it for another four minutes not doing too well. And I was like, okay, well, and then I went up after her, knowing that I would have to re-energize this crowd. Yeah. You know, because they, they were beat down for 17 minutes of, you know, unfunniness, I guess. <laughs> and, like, she, she was, she was delusional, like, I know when I have a bad set, like, you know, and when I, but there's like, we talked about, like, there's going to be crowds that aren't going to give you applause breaks, and they'll enjoy you afterwards, because they're, especially with older crowds, like, when they're 60 and 70, they're not, they're watching you like they're watching the Andy Griffin show. Yeah. They, they, you know, so. Yeah. And it's. I've noticed that over the, over the years, it's taken me a long time to realize it, but, you know, I'm, and I still much prefer to hear laughter, but sometimes, yeah, sometimes I, you'll have those shows that you're just like, man, that sucked. And and those are the shows that I sell the most merchandise, and the most people come up and say nice things. And some crowds just don't laugh out loud, even if they're enjoying something. And it sucks for us, but that's just how it is sometimes. And I've heard comics say, it's never the crowd's fault. And I'm like, bullshit, sometimes it's completely their fault. <laughs> <laughs> they, they came out there for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Do, do you have a uh, least favorite part of stand up? No, I mean, I mean, maybe the politics a little bit. You know, the, the smaller market clicks, but you know, nothing, nothing too like. You know, I mean, it's just being around long enough that. I'm kind of more just accepting of, like, yeah, there's going to be bad days, there's going to be good days, and, I mean... That's just life. I'm, yeah, that's life, and, I mean, we will, or, I mean, the reality of it is, my least part is being at the mercy of sometimes club owners or bar owners that don't think they have to pay you or don't pay the right price or give you a bad check, and, I mean, we did this room out in Summit, and we had like eight people, and uh, me and John Cheezer, we did the Monday, and we did the Tuesday, and then like, you know, we don't want to pay you for the Tuesday. So, uh, but I proceeded to uh, go up with Jesse Turner and do an hour about how I used to would commit arson for about an hour. I just talked about arson for about an hour. Everybody loved it. Yeah. Because yeah, the guy was watching us on camera, but... Still did my time. It just it just goes with the territory. 
Yeah. But the bigger your name goes, I mean, the more, the better the clubs you get. You know, you, you just keep working harder. And, so you know what happened yeah, I like I like the I like the guys that try to pay you less because uh, we're not going to have as big of a crowd as we thought. I'm like, well, you still want me to do the same job, right? Like, you still want me to do 45 minutes and and be funny the whole time? Well, yeah. Well, then that's all I give a shit about. <laughs> like, 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 I'm sorry you got problems. We all got problems, but I need this amount of money, and you still want me to do the same job. So, you know, I don't run into that as much as I used to, but. Um, I have never not gotten my money. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no, but you've been working, but I I just take it with the territory. So, you know, um, of being at the bottom of the road right now, you know? So, and that's fine. Eventually it'll get better and just got to keep a positive attitude about it, you know? Do you feel doing the road has made you, uh, so you definitely feel like doing the road has made you more uh, well-rounded as a comedian? Yes, I do. I totally do. Yeah. See, that, I, I can't stand when when L.A. comics get snobby about people who do the road like it's a dirty, like some guys will say it like, like it's a dirty word, you know, like how long have you been on the road? And it's like, you mean how long have I been making money doing comedy, something you aspire to do, you snobby piece of shit? <laughs> <laughs> well, to even think about this, it's, if somebody offers you 45 minutes, that's three spots at the comedy store, you know, and you're doing that one night, you know, so it's, it, and naturally, even if you don't have the time, you're going to have, you're going to force that time, and it's just going to make you better. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, the uh, comedy store especially is really great for development and and getting good and she designed that room to be tough and and you know that you had to get your stuff tight and all that and it also i've said this a few times on the podcast no room forces you to disguise jokes more than that room like you have to kind of make it sound like more it forces you to be conversational which is good because you don't sound just like a joke jukebox up there um so there's definitely uh, great benefits, especially to, you know, and that's clubs historic and all that. And I, I think about that whenever they and do the, at the beginning of the shows, they talk about how there's only been like 500 paid regulars since 1970 or whatever. And when you think about that for 40 years, 500 paid regulars, that's not a lot. You know, that's only a hand, it's only a handful of people that she's given the nod to. Um, and now it's not her that passes people, but it, it's, it's definitely, uh, an honor, you know, to, to be one of those people. Yeah, no, and it's, 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 it's a brotherhood of like, you know, we've all come from different backgrounds and it forces people that weren't necessarily wouldn't be, you know, close or whatever until, you know, it forced us to interact with one another and get better and I mean there's been great comics that hadn't been passed there and but but then there's uh it's kind of a fraternity slash sorority. It's like, you know it's it's good to see certain comics that were just good dudes all of a sudden, you know, blow up or have a, a successful career. So that's I mean, if it wasn't for the store, me and you had never met, so uh, and I always feel blessed by that. So yeah, a lot of you know, and you know, 
success is defined a lot of different ways. Like I've had friends that are like, that are like, man, you're gonna make it one of these days. I know it. And I'm like, well, I haven't had a day job in 17 years. Who's to say I haven't made it already? You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that. There's got to be some value in that. Um, you know, that was my goal when I started out. I listened to Bill Hicks, and I was like, man, that guy's that's the funniest guy I've ever heard, and I've never heard of him. And I changed my major the next freaking day, and and, uh, yeah. and I've never looked back. I gave myself two years to learn how to do it, and I wasn't going to worry about making a nickel, and that was just my approach to it. And maybe to my own detriment that I've only, that I've always just worried about doing it for a living, and getting famous has never really been my my thing, but along the way, I like to think I've developed a pretty good act, and now I can do 50 minutes like it's nothing, and, and I know all the peaks and valleys and where they're supposed to laugh, and if they don't, I know why they're not, and I know how to deal with checks coming out and all that stuff, and there's just so much to stand up that people just don't uh, know about, and, and they shouldn't, you know, like if you're good at it, you should just make it look easy, and that's all there is to it, but the problem is... Yeah. The problem is a lot of these guys see you do it and you've put in 15, 20 years to get to get that good and they're like, well, that doesn't look hard at all. Well, it's not supposed to look yeah. hard if you're good at it, but it is, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, it's not, it's, not, it's not for everybody, you know, and uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a world that, uh, you know, we, I feel fortunate because we weren't kids that grew up on YouTube or Twitter and, like, we had to become real comics. Yeah. You know? so, you know, a whole generation of comics that worry about their Twitter accounts and the Instagrams or whatever, instead of just spending time on in the notebook writing a joke or writing a story or something funny. Yeah, I've seen that with the younger comics. Like, oh, I got this tweet out. Like, who cares about that? You know, with this, put you in front of a live crowd and make them laugh. You know, you know, you basically, you know, I mean, it's, the game has totally changed. I mean, there's like podcasts and Instagram, and but the one beauty is if you have something that does blow up. And the club wants you to come out, you'll be able to back it up because you spent 17 years doing this, 18, 19 years. Yeah. You know, and same with me. It's like, you know, people won't feel like when they leave that you're cheated. Because this, I mean, everything with the podcast, internet, it's an added bonus right now, but it's also, you know, we didn't have that. So the only thing you had was, you know, working how to be funny. So, yeah. So I, I feel blessed that we came up during the time that we came up, you know. Yeah, and a, a lot of club owners are shooting themselves in the foot when they book these YouTube guys and all that because I'm like, man, you're making money in the short term, but you're also having, like, let's say you have 1,200 people out over the weekend to see some YouTube guy who couldn't do stand-up to save his life or those, those muscle-bound twins that go around, um, yeah. you know, dirtying up the stage and they suck. I mean, they're horrible. And I'm not going to say their names, but you know I'm not going to give them any airtime on my thing. But they're they they suck, and but they 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 draw people out. But I'm like, yeah, you're making money that weekend, but you're also going to make 1,200 people leave that place and go. I am never coming back there, you know. And yeah. and if you just make your club the draw by having good solid comedians every single week, then people are like, well, 
I don't know who's there this week, but I know they're always good there. I know they only book yeah. good comics, and that's how you make a business last, not for for more than a year, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's only a handful of guys anymore that that still subscribe to that theory, and those are the guys who've been doing it thirty something years. And it's like that's not a coincidence. <coughs> There's some uh, there's some booking stuff I wanted to talk to you about um, off the podcast, so maybe I'll give you a call when we're done here, and, and we'll uh, shoot the shit for uh, for about that for a minute. But uh, um, we were at about 45 minutes, and that's about where I like to cap it. So, if, is there is is there anything else you'd like to say, or any place that they that people can find you if they want to see some Davy Wester comedy, or follow you on social media, or any of that stuff? People who listen to this, I think, that are from Kansas City, since that's where I'm from. So, awesome! Check out yeah. my buddy this weekend, and I'll plug that again before I uh, before I close this thing. But uh, I really appreciate you coming on here, buddy. I appreciate you having me, Tim. Yeah. And uh, give me a call back. All right, peace, brother. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon, yeah. Davey. Thanks a lot, buddy. Bye bye. All right, everybody. That was my friend Davey Wester. Uh, Davey's a great guy, really funny comedian. And uh, if you're in Kansas City this weekend, I believe they're, I believe they're downtown now, uh, eight thirteen. I'm not going to give you the address because it's it'll be wrong. I'm not sure what their address is, but Davey will be there. So uh, so you know there's going to be a funny guy if you want to go check him out. That'll be February second. Well. This Friday, Saturday is the 2nd and 3rd, so he'll be there on Wednesday, so whatever the heck that is, February 1st or whatever. Um, and this weekend, I personally will be in Arizona at the Comedy Spot, Scottsdale, Arizona. I'll be there Friday, Saturday, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. All my dates are on timgathercomedy.com. I apologize last week for uh, not having a podcast, uh, but I will definitely try to be back next week to do another one and actually think next week we're gonna have uh david shine who is becoming a youtube star in his own right and he's also uh he's also just a funny dude and uh, used to be a wrestler and you guys know i'm a nerd about wrestling so uh, i'm gonna talk to him about that and the week after that i think i'm gonna have jeff jeff richards on here who was on saturday night live really funny dude and i apologize if that if davy's phone was cutting out at all in the beginning of that but i think we Got most of it just fine. Um, as always, go to makingithappen.com and help out little Bo Macon. 
macanithappen.com. Bo's a little boy with a rare disease, and he can always use donations. And while I'm uh, plugging for donations, my friend J. Scott Homan has cancer, and J. Scott, I'm going to try to have him on here as soon as I can, too. Uh, J. Scott is one of the funniest people God ever made, and he's having a on you you can find you can find the link to, to to donate to him on my Facebook on my fan page and on my personal page Tim Gaither um Jay Scott is is a super funny guy if I talk too much about about him I'm going to start crying <laughs> um because it just sucks that it seems like a lot of times the best people get afflicted with this kind of shit and uh not only is he one of the funniest people I've ever known in my life but he's a great great guy and uh and we can all use help sometimes, and even even five, ten bucks will help. You know, and it fucking drives me crazy, if I can go off on it for a second, for a second that people will donate to save animals, and they'll ask for birthday donations to go to whatever, um, some charity none of us have ever heard of, but they won't dig in their own pockets for five or ten bucks and, and help out somebody. You know, I put a Facebook thing up where I practically begged people to go and donate to my friend Jay Scott and a lot of it went largely ignored and, and there's a lot of people that did donate and I don't mean to sound ungrateful because there's a lot of people who did but more often than not people ignore that and then I can put up some stupid joke and they like the hell out of it and when I truly ask them to do something good they act like they can't hear or they didn't see it and I know they did <laughs> anyway um None of us are perfect. I'm not trying to claim that I am by any means, but uh, but God damn it, help out my friend. I would appreciate it, and I appreciate all you guys for listening as always. And uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye bye.